0: 2,000 years ago, on a on Thursday evening, Jesus spent time with his closest followers, his disciples. And on that very night, he told his closest friends, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. And later that evening, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would fall to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus was in absolute agony as he would sweat drops of blood as he knew what was coming later on that night and into the early morning and then being crucified on Friday around 9 a.m. On this Good Friday, it's important for us to contemplate some of these truths, how Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, how he trusted his father allowed himself to be betrayed, falsely accused, and that he would then be crucified. Now, if you've read in the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, what you'll see is it's really quite brief. It doesn't have a lot of detail. It just says... And they crucified him. Just a very simple statement. The reason is that in the first century, everyone knew what that meant. Everyone had seen it. This was part of life. And so they knew how gruesome, they knew how painful and how agonizing it was to be crucified. And as a matter of fact, our English word that we use, excruciating, which refers to extreme pain, and so the word excruciating literally means from the cross. That's what the word means. And so it was an excruciating death. And if you know anything about what it meant down on a cross, you know, it was absolutely shameful, where the, the bodies weren't even buried. They were typically left there for the animals to devour. It was a horrible death. Now with Jesus, we know the accounts are that that didn't happen. He was buried immediately on that Friday evening. But the context of crucifixion was not good. Nothing good about being crucified. And so how is it that Christians all around the world this weekend, unique for us on a Friday, but all around the world this weekend are celebrating how indeed there is a good Friday and the cross is good. And maybe you're here wondering, well, why exactly is that good? Let's read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is the heart of the gospel. This this paragraph that we just read summarizes what it is that we believe. It says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried. So he died for our sins. A very common phrase, Christ died for our sins. Well, that comes from 1 Corinthians 15. That's where that phrase comes from. Now, here's what the problem is with that phrase. You're like, what do you mean the problem, Pastor? A problem. The problem with the phrase, Christ died for our sins, is that we hear it so often, and we, and we say it so often, that we can almost forget what it means, and, we, and, and like, it's like we have a callus around that phrase, and we, we don't even feel it, or don't even hear it anymore. It's kind of like with my children, sometimes they're noisy, Anyone have noisy kids in the room, anyone? I'm not talking about singing, I like it when they sing, that's awesome. I'm talking about noise. I'm talking about random, pointless, irritating, sometimes just noise. And it's like, ah. And my wife, Bonnie, will say, can you please ask the kids to stop making that noise? I look at her and say, what noise? I don't even hear it anymore. I mean, it's like I've become so used to hearing these noises that I've stopped even hearing them. And she's like, well, I can hear him. Please do something. I'm like, okay, stop the noise. It's simple. Here's the point. Have you heard that phrase, Christ died for our sins so often, that it's just white noise that just blends into the background, and you've really stopped hearing it. And it certainly hasn't impacted your soul how it should. And on this Good Friday, it's a message that you've likely heard before. We know how the story ends. Jesus dies on the cross, but praise be to God, on Sunday morning, he is risen. As the women went to go find Jesus' body, and the angel says, he's not here, he is risen. So we know that, but this truth of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection must absolutely transform our lives. We must never lose the sense of awe and amazement of Christ's death and resurrection. As Paul says, we just read, I deliver to you as of first importance. Number one, preeminent, first importance. What's the first importance? That Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Let me give you the main idea. It's quite simple. But nonetheless, it will govern our thoughts for this morning. The truth here is that Christ's death and resurrection is the only basis for salvation. This right here is Christianity 101. This is the starting place. If you don't understand this, then you can't follow Jesus or you're not following him. Is that Christ's death and resurrection is the only basis for salvation? We're going to ask three questions from this main idea. This morning, the first question we're going to ask is, what is the significance of Christ's death? Second, we'll ask, what is the significance of Christ's resurrection? And then lastly, we'll say, how does Christ's death and resurrection impact me today? Because it must. Let's ask the first question. So what is the significance of Christ's death? So the words, Christ died for us, are absolutely powerful and are just pregnant. They're just full of meaning. And the significance of Christ's death, here's the answer. So the question is, what is So, so significant about it? Here's the answer. Christ's death was a substitutionary sacrifice. Oh, that's a big word. It means substitute. And so Christ's death is a substitutionary sacrifice. So those two key words, substitute and sacrifice, are the two key words here that help us understand what is so significant about Christ's death. See, so here's the starting point for us to understand is that all of us actually deserve God's wrath. Now, we sang that beautifully with hands lifted high, and we sing that, but we have to, with all of our hearts, truly believe this, that we actually deserve God's wrath and that every one of us is have left to ourselves would reject to God every time. This is a hard truth but the truth is that we deserve death every one of us and we're talking about an eternal death where we're nowhere near God's love. This is what we deserve to be in hell forever. Now, this is not popular but it's in the Bible truth That we must believe, this is the starting place, that Jesus died in your place as your substitute. He's the only one to have ever had perfect obedience to the Father and kept God's laws perfectly. Only one who lived the holy life. And so what happened on the cross is Very important for you to understand what was actually happening when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was Jesus saying that at that moment on the cross? What was happening to our Savior? He was saving us. God was pouring out His holy wrath upon Jesus. He was transferring our guilt And our sin and our shame was being transferred and poured on to the body of Jesus. And so, God had to turn his back on his son because he was, at that point, embodying, experiencing God's judgment, being condemned on our behalf. Talking about this being the great exchange this morning. You see, it is Christ's work on the cross that satisfies and then removes our guilt. It satisfies God's holiness and it removes our guilt. And so what you see in the cross is absolutely glorious. No human could ever have conceived it, but God in his infinite wisdom did. Jesus was actually representing all of sinful humanity on the cross. And so when he died, he died in our place as our substitute, as the sacrifice for us. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Easter is the great exchange. That's what this is. God exchanged our guilt for Christ's innocence. He transferred our guilt to Jesus and transferred His righteousness, His innocence to us. So it's guilt for innocence. He transferred our death that we deserve and Jesus died. And then He transferred this holy life of Jesus and now we can have eternal life. So Jesus died so we can have eternal life. And He was condemned so that there is therefore no condemnation. those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus removed the wrath of God that I and that you deserve as our substitute sacrifice. Only possible because he is fully God and fully man. I didn't say because he was, but because he is currently, as we speak, on his throne in heaven, hearing our worship. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Don't forget that. It's it's not that we're singing into the air. We're not. We're singing to Jesus. And he hears you. And he is pleased. He loves it. It brings joy to him when he hears and he sees his people whom he died for. When we sing to him, it makes his heart sing. He is pleased. He is fully man which means that he could represent humanity on the cross. But he's fully God, which means that he was without sin, no corruption, the perfect sacrifice. Only the God-man could do this. And so Christmas points to Easter. He came fully God, fully human, culminates with Easter, his death and his resurrection. Only Jesus could do it. And so we deserve an eternal death. But let's just understand this clearly. Jesus did not experience an eternal death. Now, some people would say, ah, look, the Christian faith is inconsistent. How could you say that all of humanity that deserves an eternal death, you have Jesus who was only dead for three days? How can that satisfy God's eternal holiness? Because Jesus is eternal. And so, Jesus is eternal temporary death is sufficient to pay for all of the sins that we would have to pay for for eternity because Jesus is eternal. It's sufficient. It's enough. It is paid. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For his sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Important verse. So that in him will become the righteousness of God. This is an important verse to understand. On the cross, Jesus did not simply remove your guilt. Hear me. Jesus did not simply remove your guilt and give you a clean slate. He didn't just do that. Because what if Jesus on the cross had removed your guilt, given you a clean slate? Well, what would happen the very next day? You would go back to your old ways. You would go back to being who you were before. Yeah, I cleaned slate for a few minutes. Before you go back to sinning again, kind of like picture someone that has an addiction with shopping. Now no one in this room. I know, I know that. But suppose you have someone that this person he just loves to shop, and the word sale to him makes his his actual tongue to be salivating. Oh, sale, I can go get it on sale. It's not actually a sale. There are no sales in Abu Dhabi. It's crazy. But anyway, so picture someone who. He worships in the mall, okay? He buys a lot of stuff, and then he gets in serious debt, major debt problems because of all of this spending, right? Now, suppose this person then follows bankruptcy, and now what happens? The slate is clean, right? The debts are now absolved. It's gone. Now you have bad credit, but your debts are all now negated. So now this person who was in debt Filed bankruptcy now is no longer in debt. The debts are gone. Clean slate. What's going to happen next week? It's going to go back to the mall. What's he going to do? Start swiping that card again. What will happen maybe, say, a year or two down the road? That person is going to still get in debt again. Why? Because what needs to happen is not to have your slate cleans, to have your debts wiped. That isn't enough. You see, God removed your guilt, gave you a clean slate. He did more than that. He then gave you Christ's righteousness. So he took away your guilt, and then he gave you Christ's righteousness instead. And so now you have a new heart. Now you have a new nature a new ability, a new standing before God that's not just neutral. You don't have a neutral standing with God. You have a righteousness standing before God because of Christ. And so the word here is imputed. God imputed the righteousness of Christ to you. And He imputed your guilt to Jesus. He transferred it. This is mind-blowing. This is the great exchange that gives us Hope to face whatever we have in front of us. Whatever is ailing you today. Whatever is just not right in your life today. You have the righteousness of Christ credited to you. You have his spirit living in you. You can overcome it. I promise you, you can. You think, no, I can't. Yes, you can. It's a dead situation. Maybe it is. Our God specializes in resurrections. That's what he does best. He resurrects the dead. And so I don't care. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You can overcome it. We've been looking at Romans. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Absolutely have hope because of Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. Here's our problem, if we're really honest, with all of us. We know that we have guilt and that was removed and instead we've been given righteousness. This is is good. And we know that. The problem is every one of us in this room is hardwired for works righteousness. We're all hardwired to want to earn it ourselves. Every one of us is. That's how we are as humans because of the fall, because of humanity's sinfulness. Every one of us has a tendency to want to earn it. And so which is why you look at every religion under the sun, in one capacity or another, it's all about earning it. You do enough work, and then, and then you can get righteousness. You do the prayers, you do this, you do that, you do, you, you, you do all of the religious requirements, and then you can reach heaven. You can find God's favor as you work for it. And those of us that understand Christ's substitution, sacrifice, we understand this. We have the Spirit. We've been justified. We just heard singing and we've sung, not who I am, not what I've done, but who you are and what you have done. And we know that. And yet, man, we still, even as believers, we still think we can earn it. We do. We do. We think, God, I've been praying enough. Now it's your turn to do what I'm asking. God, I've been praying. Why, why hasn't this been fixed, whatever this is in your life? God, I'm tithing. I even go to a home group. I even lead one. Oh, or you know what? I even have this. Oh, I teach the kids. I teach kids. And I, I should get so many crowns in heaven because I teach kids I'm, I'm the biggest saint in this church because I, no here's the problem we tend to approach our faith with this works righteousness where we think that because we're doing things for Jesus that obligates him that puts God in debt to us let's not confuse the equation we are in debt to him Jesus paid it all It doesn't matter how much you pray or do for Jesus. He knows what's best for you. You should serve Jesus and you should pray and do those things because you love him. And because you want to be closer to him. And doing things like praying and reading the word and serving others is a way to express your love, your affections to Jesus. Not about what you get from him. It's to enjoy him. But we all do it. Make deals with God. Hey, if you do this, if I do this and you do this for me, okay, God, we have this this arrangement going on, and so, you know, I'll do this. You, no, it doesn't work that way. We're in debt to him, and we praise him. Whatever the circumstances are, we praise him. Even if it's hard, we praise him. My little girl, seven-year-old Abigail, had some serious nightmares this last week. Don't even know where it came from, but, like, these terrifying, didn't want to sleep type nightmares, and... I was talking to her a few days ago and saying, well, what's going on? She she was just crying and crying and just so broken over over these nightmares. And what I told her is, hey, it's okay. She's like, how do I I change these bad thoughts into good ones? I was like, well, you can't. You you can't take a bad thought and just transform it into a good one. It's a bad thought. You need to get rid of it and replace it with another good thought. And so what you do with these bad dreams is don't meditate on them. Don't rehearse them. Don't flash back all day to them. Put them out. How, Daddy? Well, you think about what's true. These dreams are lies. They're they're not true. They're lies. Focus on the truth. Focus on what is true. What is true? God loves you. His spirit lives in you. You're not alone. Focus on the truth. And so I'm teaching my little girl about how we take our thoughts captive to Christ and we focus on Him and we have victory over whatever is ailing us. And so we focus on Christ because that's the way we find victory. Not doing things to get what we want. It doesn't work that way. And so sin destroys relationship, which is why God sent His Son to reconcile us, to bring us close to him, to make things like prayer and reading his word effective in our lives. And what we need is to be reconciled. Now, those of you that are married, you know the word reconcile because sometimes they get into a fight with their spouse. And the husband, oh, the husband. I don't know why. is on the couch. Why, why isn't the wife on the couch? No, neither of you should be on the couch, for the record. You should, you should work it out and stay in the same bed. But I digress. When, when you have a problem... When, when you're not working it out, well, what you need to do is to reconcile, to come back together, and to be close again, and to ask for, for forgiveness for the sin that broke the relationship, that made communication not healthy. Prayer is just talking to God, communing, enjoying Him. And so the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection, makes this possible. Makes it possible for us to be close to him and to enjoy him, to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so Christ's death, his substitutionary death, where he paid the price, he endured our guilt and shame and sin, has made it possible for us to be reconciled, to be close to him, and then experience joy in our lives. And so, this great exchange is our sin for Christ's righteousness. And Jesus overcame our separation by enduring separation from God. And so, we can now approach God freely and have joy. And God knows that there's no happiness apart from Him. There's no joy if you're not walking with Christ and experiencing His presence every day. You're not going to have joy. But the problem is that we want joy on our own agenda, and our own way, and we, we want joy on our own selfish means. And so what happens is we look for joy in other things. So let me ask you a question. Just think about this for a, just for a minute. Here's a question. If I only had blank, I would be so happy. If I only had blank, I would be so happy. What is it? What is that blank? What would you fill in that blank that you believe would just, man, make your life just right, make your life just make sense and be so much better than what it is right now? If I only had, you should write the word Jesus. If I only had more of Christ, if I only had more of his presence, if I had only, if only I could experience more of Christ, I would be so happy. Whatever is going on in your life that's not right is secondary. Because having more of him, having him satisfy you, what will happen is other things will fall into place. And even if they're not right, and sometimes they're not, you'll have the peace. You'll have joy. And you'll have a spirit sustaining you to get through those things. And so what is the significance of Christ's death? It has made the great exchange possible. And so God is displaying his stunning glory by saving us, by Christ dying in our place, taking away our condemnation by him experiencing it. You are loved. Hear that. You are so loved by God that he in his wisdom planned this great exchange. Where Christ is all of our bad stuff. We get all of his glorious blessings. And so what is the significance of Christ's resurrection? So we understand now the death significance. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. But what about his resurrection? Listen, this is very important. Jesus dying on the cross is not enough. You hear me? Jesus dying on the cross is not enough. The resurrection is absolutely necessary. If Jesus had died and not resurrected, it would not be enough. Good Friday is not good without Easter Sunday. So, what makes Good Friday good? Easter, Sunday morning, because that's the victory. And so, death alone was not sufficient. There had to be a resurrection. So, it has to be the death and resurrection that is sufficient. So 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What is the significance of Christ's resurrection? The resurrection of Christ guarantees our salvation. Christ's resurrection guarantees our salvation. Verse 17, we just read it. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, Christ's resurrection proves that God the Father accepted Christ's sacrifice. Christ substitute. Sacrifice on the cross. And so the fact that he was resurrected says that the father says, okay, son, I approve. It says the pay has been paid off in full. And so this debt that we have has been paid off in full because he's resurrected. If the debt wasn't paid off, he would have still been dead. And so the fact that Christ was raised by the father says that he accepted it. And the father is saying, okay, I'm satisfied. The debt has been paid in full. Now, son, resurrect. And so Jesus conquered death itself by dying and resurrecting. So if Christ had not resurrected, we would have no hope of our own future resurrection. We'll see this more on Sunday morning, which says that he is the first fruits of resurrection. And so we have hope that one day when we die, And your spirit goes up to be to heaven, but your body goes into a box and into the ground. That one day, that same body is going to hear the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. And there's going to be a rattling in your coffin. And your body will be resurrected, joined with your spirit to live with Christ bodily forever in the new heaven, the new earth. And so this is a guarantee. We hope this and we know it's gonna happen. Why? Because Jesus died and was resurrected. He's the first fruit. We have hope that after we die, we too resurrected. You see, Christ came into our darkness. He came here into our world, and our darkness for Jesus culminated with his dying. What would have happened if he would have stayed dead? We'd all be in darkness together. But he didn't. He resurrected. He knows the way out. And so we can hold his hand and we can trust him that Jesus knows the way out of our darkness because he's been through it. He's alive. We have hope. We don't worship a dead Savior, he's alive. And the fact that he is risen gives us hope to face whatever life throws our way. We can enjoy him forever. Last question. As we wrap things up, how does Christ's death and resurrection impact us today? How does Christ's death and resurrection impact you and me on this Good Friday? Look, many of us here have grown up in church. Let's just be honest, all right? You've been in church a long time, a lot of you. Some of you, this is new, which is great. But for a lot of us, this is not new. You've heard Easter stories. You've heard the Easter sermon every year, like your whole life. So this is nothing new to you. you. You know what happens, and here's what happens. We, we could think, oh, I already know all this stuff. I've already done that before. I've already done the Christian thing for a long time. But maybe you're sitting here on this Good Friday, and maybe, maybe you have this sense deep down in your soul where you know that your life is failing to produce the fruit of faith that you know is possible. You know that your life isn't producing the fruit that you would like, that you know God desires. And maybe all of your knowledge, which I'm sure you have plenty of, maybe your knowledge of God's word and knowledge about the scriptures, maybe it's not leading to transformation. Is your life characterized by broken relationships? Do you look in your life and see broken relationships? Or or do you see uh, peaceful, loving, reconciled relationships? Is your life characterized by maybe a very knowledgeable but impersonal walk with Jesus? Or do you experience a daily, sweet, very natural, again, just day by day delight and worship of Jesus? Is your life characterized by maybe struggle with material things? We talked earlier about being in debt. Do you struggle with material possessions? Or or do you have a, a very balanced and healthy relationship with possessions? Is your life characterized by personal growth? Or is your life maybe a lack of teachability and a lack of growth? I don't pretend to know where you're at, but I know that you know, and more importantly, God knows. How does the death and resurrection of Jesus make it possible for us to live truly transformed lives? How does this Easter message truly impact us today? Let me give you the answer. Because Jesus' death and resurrection, because of that, you can now have a satisfied soul. Because Christ died and is alive, You can have a satisfied soul. See, Jesus came to satisfy our deepest longings. You know the ones deep down inside? Deepest longings and deepest desires. Listen to the words of our Savior. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He also said, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, but now I'm coming to you, the Father, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants us to have joy, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. We have a glorious Savior. Oh, how he loves us. It's just astounding and baffling to me that he would love me. His mercy and his relentless pursuing love for me, removing my guilt giving me his righteousness, and making true joy possible. So how do you internalize these truths and let them sink in deep? How do you really apply these truths and have a transformed life? Let me give you a few thoughts. It won't go long. I know it's about time to go and get some lunch. Let me give you a few thoughts here as we close, so let's focus for a few minutes. See, most of us know that we've been forgiven. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know that. Well, if you're here today and you don't, Know for certain that you can be forgiven if you'll turn to Christ. But most of us in the room already know Christ. And we know that we're forgiven. We know that our past sins are taken care of because Christ died in our place. And so I'll call this past grace. And we even know that there's a future grace. Where one day after we die, we'll be with Christ forever in heaven. And so we live with having past forgiveness and Future promises, and we're, we're assured of both. But the problem is, you don't live in the past or the future. We live in the here and the now. And focusing on past grace and future grace, even though our encouraging will not sustain you today in the present, in the here, in the now. You need present grace, and it's available to you. For now, to live and follow Jesus today, this hour, this minute, overcoming temptations and living for him. And so many of us in the room, all of us can have this if we're not careful, have a very external religion, a very external faith. And we, and we talked earlier, we think if we do all of these things that are good, like, again, praying, giving, serving, we're doing good things that somehow that's enough. And it's very much check-the-box Christianity. But the point of following Jesus is not that. It's about a changed heart. And it's possible because Christ died and is resurrected. And so it's not about checking boxes religiously. It's about following the process. Well, what is the process? I'll give you two words. Faith and repentance. The same two words that you used when you came to Jesus. You repented of your sins and placed complete trust in Him. Faith and repentance, that is a process. Faith and repentance is not what you do only when you came to Jesus. No, every day. We need to have a lifestyle of faith and repentance where we need daily correction. I need it. Hear me. You need it. We need correction from God's Word. From those closest to us, we need transparency in our relationships. We need to be walking closely with Jesus. This process of daily faith and repentance is the only way of coming to the cross afresh every day, remembering your need for mercy. Listen, as a believer, you will always have new enemies to fight. Not in the church, to her family. I'm talking about spiritual attacks and temptations. We're always going to have new enemies to defeat. Always going to have new sins to address. Only possible if you're truly every day worshiping and enjoying Jesus. Not as a formula, in a relationship. This is an ongoing lifelong process of daily having your faith renewed as you spend time reading and meditating. And as you repent of ongoing sin that all of us have. You have God's word to guide you. You have your spirit to sustain you. You have your faith family to encourage you. What more do you need? Nothing else. You have every tool at your disposal for this present grace as you enjoy Christ. It's available if we would draw near to him. So on this Good Friday, as we close, I ask you one last question. Is what fills you up? I really mean it. What fills you? What fills your soul? It may it be Christ. Allow Him to fill you, to satisfy you. His death and resurrection make this relationship possible. He's alive. You are forgiven. You have freedom. Live in it, walk in it. This great exchange is mind blowing where we have guilt for innocence and sin for righteousness and death, for life, this great exchange. Let's allow these truths to sink in. Will you please pray with me? Father, this morning, we thank you for giving us the joy of worshiping you as we remember how your son died on the cross for us nearly 2,000 years ago. And we praise you for making it possible for us to be forgiven through this great exchange as we consider the significance of Christ's death and his resurrection and how we must live in light of it, we praise you for loving us despite ourselves. For you to know us completely and to love us completely is overwhelming. We thank you and we praise you for our salvation. And right now I pray for anyone in this room that has never repented of their sins, May today, may they repent and turn to you. May they experience this salvation. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.